And there we go. We're in episode 21 of Friday Night Counterattack. And we've got another special guest appearance today. So we've got our footballing agent and friend, a game of two halves CEO, Marco Floreal. Did I pronounce your surname correctly, Marco? Not bad, Floreali. It's, it's not an easy one. You're going to have to say that again for us. Was it Marco Floreali? Floreali, yeah. Floreali, my apologies. We've got um, our football agent friend on today. And we've got Arif and we've got Salim back. So we've got Salim. What did I call you earlier today? Uh, Sir Salim Parkinson. Because of your interviewing <laughs> skills. Yorkshire's oh, finest, something funny like that. And then obviously you've got Arif Rogan, Arif Chowdhury back on the podcast. So good to see you, Arif. It's been a yeah, while. Feels good, man. I'm excited for this one. I, I like Marco's energy. So I'm excited for this one. Started talking about boxing instead of football. <laughs> before after, after, after record, but yeah. <laughs> keep it moving. These are for the people that are, aren't watching our videos, but we've got Arif as a background with uh, Anthony Joshua and uh, Tyson Fury, who's just secured their fight. Well, two fights, I think, have got... Two-fight deal, yeah. It's a two-fight deal, yeah. Two-fight deal, which we can't wait to see. Hopefully, we'll be yeah. able to get fans in the ground I, for that. One definitely needs to be in the UK. It needs to be in London. One's got to be at Wembley. One has to be at Wembley. Yeah. Can't just keep Obviously, holding fights to the Arabs, man. We need, yeah, we need it's going to be in Dubai or something, Wembley. isn't it? The first one will, but one has, to be, one has to be at Wembley. Packed yeah. out Wembley. It's full of British fans. Boxing... Is yeah. the, the UK is the home of boxing? I agree. I think the first one should. If, look, we're all old romantics from what we can tell in sport. For yeah. me, the first one should be in London. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The second one for me, because I'm old school, but should be Vegas, baby. Vegas, yeah, yeah, America. You've got to put one yeah. in Vegas. So, well, these so, days it's so all about the money, bit. though, isn't it? Well, it's all it's always been about the money, but I think I think you're going to have the Saudi or the UAE come and say that we'll give you a few hundred million just just to have it here. Yeah. Yeah. What's Eddie Hearn going to say? And what Frank Warren, they're going to be like, fine. Which is sad, but... No, in yeah, a way, Joe, it promotes boxing in another way as well to new audiences in different countries. That's another way to look at it, personally. But yeah, I mean... Like, like Marco just said, if you're a purist about boxing, it's got to be in Las Vegas, one or the other, I'd say. Mm. And that's where, that's where the home of boxing is for a lot of um, showbiz blockbuster fights as well. So that'll be fun yeah, to that, see. Yeah. I think the overlap, and we will get into football for me, but this is where the overlap is with the boxing and the football is at what stage do you say to the fighters or to a player, you've got more than enough money. Now, let's see, why don't you give something back to the true fans? You know, so, you know, you've got likes of Messi earning a reported, you know, a million bucks a week. And you're going to have these guys that are going to be turning in a hundred million on a fight. Well, okay, do that in the fight, first fight as an example. But the second fight, come on, give it back to the fans. You're, you're you're going to be a multi-millionaire and the spin-offs from that are huge as they are for football but they won't do it and that's what saddens me and just to remind everyone you also listen to Friday Night Counter-Attack we do talk about other sports nowadays but it, it's, it's, it's a good energy like Arif says it's, it's, it's actually groundbreaking the Tyson Fury the Anthony Joshua we can't ignore it whatever so it's, it's quite good but let's get into today's episode so we've got Marco yeah. on, on our podcast and He's been someone that we've kind of been talking to for a while now and is someone that we've kind of enjoyed and under, um, understood each other from a proper perspective. I just yeah. need to... Um, Bear me one sec. I'll be right back. Right. Sure. <laughs> well, that, was, that was a short <laughs> intro. I know, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was going well. <laughs> I thought it was going well and then I thought he was just going to be like... Um, I, thought that, I thought, it was part of the, thought it was part of the intro and then he actually went... <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't get that memo. He's done a Piers Morgan. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Literally. 
<laughs> it's oh, literally man. still. I'm not Barker, talking about what, what. What do you think of Piers Morgan? Do you like him? Hate him? No, I'm not a fan, and I know he's an yeah. Arsenal fan. Um, I think he's another one that's just got a little bit too big for his boots. Yeah, I, th- I, I think, think sometimes he's got a valid point. Yeah, but he just he overegs it. It's the clout. It's yeah. the clout chasing in it. I think. I think. Yeah. Well, I don't know him off camera, but I think he's probably a really nice guy off camera because according to the, his friends and what they say, like things people like Kevin Peterson, and and he does seem like a really nice guy, but on the camera he's just way too toxic. It's like yeah. just too way too much sometimes. No need. Yeah. So I am buying it. Yeah, exactly. I missed the conversation there with the delivery driver just coming. So it's all well and good. I got got a little present which I'll open later and I'll share with you a lot later. I'm glad you got it. I'm glad it came in time. (laughs) It came at like, what, eight o'clock when we recorded as well, which is ridiculously delayed. So I'm just glad that we got there. Was Uh, it Hermes? It was Hermes, man. Yeah. I'm not going to swear, but I hate the water. We'll keep. We'll get it back to the. We'll get it back to the sport. We don't want to be discussing, you know, logistics. <laughs> <laughs> logistics, Piers Morgan, and boxing. This is definitely not Friday night counter attack, as we would. Marco, what have you done to us just by coming on? <laughs> it's the energy, brother. It's a good energy, but no. Right, let's start from the very beginning, Marco. Tell us more about yourself. What, how you became a football agent, and where you're at at the moment in your career. So I'll let you begin with the three basic questions. So by all means, go ahead. Okay, so my background, funny enough, is not the, the agent route. I'm a solicitor. So I've, I've always been in and around the law from a very young age. And I did that. I did the proverbial nine to five, working in a solicitor's office. Um, but football was my passion. Italian dad, English mum, grew up in the East End. So I, I was thrown into a hotbed of football in the East End of London, but with an Italian dad that comes from Rome. So I was blessed, I think, with football being in my blood, but not I couldn't play it. I had two left feet, for starters. Now, having a dual passport, you would have thought England might have come calling back in the days where we didn't have anyone with a left foot. The nearest we got was Ryan Giggs, and he played for Wales. So I go on my merry way in my career, meet my wife, married, all the good stuff, couple of kids, and then where we were when we were in Reading, um, you might remember Elm Park was the old Reading ground. And it, it was a proper old ground. Now, you, you guys are, are young, but when I say old, as in the toilets were just corrugated iron and a trough. A little okay. bit like how, and you really won't remember this, how Chelsea was. So the bridge was just like that when I used to go and watch Kerry Dixon, uh, Peter Bonetti was there. John Hollins, who was the manager. So my dad ran a restaurant and it was at Chelsea. To be fair, so, Marco, to be fair, most Chelsea fans won't know who they are because they only started in like 2003, <laughs> 2004. So we're yeah, all good there. True. Yeah. Yeah, they're only about 16 years old or something. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I'm so old that I remember what football was like. <laughs> um, pre-prem, that is. The real so, Chelsea. Correct. Which, let's be fair, were meant to be the, you know, what was it, the Liverpool, the Man United of the South. And I never got that tag because until Roman turned up with his rubles, they didn't do anything. Anyway, that's another show. Got to Reading, doing all my stuff. And then John Medeski came in and bought it. And he had the um, the car magazine, which for the life of me, I can't remember. So which, Auto Trader. Yeah, well done. And that's what made his money. So he came in and thought, right, you know what? I want... And he lived in Reading. Loved Reading, knew that they were struggling, and he bought the ground that you now know as the Medeski or the Madstad. But our firm were quite heavily involved in, in that. And that sort of then gave me access to footballers, contracts. Loved it. Then 
the firm went bust like it does. I fell out of love with the law and I went overseas. So I went to South Africa and Mauritius for six years. I came back just over two years ago and thought, right, what do I want to do? And I was playing football in South Africa. I've always played football, but then thought, right, the one thing that I love is football. The one thing I know is the law. What I'm going to do is merge my two loves, obsessions, and represent footballers within the sort of a solicitor's umbrella. But then you get to the FA and they, back in the day, a solicitor could represent a footballer and it would be pretty straightforward. Now you have to obviously register as an agent, which I then did, which just seems to be the case of turning up with £600 of clean or dirty money, no criminal record, and they give you an agency, but then maybe you don't know the, the good or the bad or the indifferent of a, of a contract. So I thought, right, that's what I want to do. Now, how do I go about doing it? And then I started to read some horror stats. So Q&A is, and I think, Hamza, you know this, you can't answer it, but Arif and Sal, over to you. How many professional footballers within five years of retiring end up bankrupt? 70%. Cool, you've gone high. I'm going to go, I'm going to have 40%. I can't, I can't imagine. Bang on. Yeah. Bang on. So it's 40%. So I then started to think, right, if I'm that 11th player in the first team, I'm looking out at 10 of my mates, four of them are going to go bankrupt. So then I started to do a little bit more delving and I thought, right, what does the PFA do about this? Not a lot was the conclusion. Then there was always this breaking news. So you had like uh, Merson that came out and said in the 90s, he did 10 million at the bookies. You had Peter Chilton that came out and said I was 45 years a gambler. You've got, you know, famous landmark uh, divorces with players like Parler, David James maybe going bankrupt. I started to think, you know what, there's a hell of a lot of what we would call first-class footballers that we could all roll off the tongue. Ian Wright as well, right? Yeah. Uh, so I actually then started, I did, I called it a troubled 11. And it was a proper 4-4-2 formation of players that had just fallen by the wayside where no one was really helping them. I thought, okay, I don't want the next generation of footballers that I'm going to be representing to be mismanaged, ill-advised, bankrupt, or back in the day, they all seemed to go and buy a pub. So you won't remember, but Terry Neal, that used to manage Arsenal way back in the day, he was also the Arsenal manager, but he was a publican. And you think, I can't be right. Kenny Sampson, he was until Ashley Cole, the most capped left-back and the most cultured left-back that England had. He was sleeping on the park bench. So I thought, no, I'm going to change it. So I rallied my troops that I trusted within what I believed were the four main divisions that Game of Two Half stands for. So I want everyone to be legally represented. So that's where I came in with my solicitor's hat. I want everyone to be financially secure. So we've got UK FCA financial advisors that help players manage and understand their money. I wanted players to be educated. So I became a corporate partner with the Johan Cruyff Institute. And then the fourth one was brand. So that's helping a player create an identity and another revenue stream outside of being a footballer. So at any time that they fall out of love with the game, whether it's a career-threatening injury, they're released, or they just organically retire, I'd like to think my players have been legally represented, they're financially secure, they've created a brand if they wanted to, and they've got an education, which I pay for. So I reinvest in my players on the basis that I will earn money from them. I don't want them being out of the game or speaking badly. I want them to be one of the you know the 60% that have actually got a nice life. Look, footballers, 
boxers, we were talking about Formula One, they're all slightly, slightly different. But ultimately, they retire twice. They retire once from the game that we all know them as. Then what do they do from 35? They're not all going to be Gary Lineker, Jermaine Genus, Alan Shearer that make it on in the media spotlight. Cricket, I love my cricket. So they're not all going to be like Nasser Hussein, Mike Atherton that go for Sky or, or become journalists. There's a bevy of players that just don't have that opportunity. And I'm thinking, I'm going to help create it. Why can't you become more interested in sports media, sports marketing, a physiotherapist, a trainer? And I'll pay for it on your watch, but it's the dime that I've earned from you. Because let's be fair, we all go to school. And who had to do? I know I'm old, but who did physics, biology, chemistry? I had to do all of that. I don't think they're called that yeah. now. That's how out of touch I am. But my point is, my mind don't think like that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not into physics, not into biology, not into chemistry, but I had to study it. Do you now say to a footballer that's been around an academy or a club from the age of nine, that was looking, done a scholarship, maybe getting a first year pro at 18, gets it 20 is out. Those 10 years, I promise you, he hasn't unless they've had the pushy parent like the Williams sisters got an education. I know of a player who I won't name, uh, who actually came on the interview when I did Mikel Antonio, who when he was at Burton, they would not let him sit his A-levels. What? And guess what? Get and guess what? Two years later, they released him, and they didn't let him sit his A levels. I thought that's not right. That's Why? awful. Yeah, but they just thought he just thought, as did they. You are going to make it. You're going to be the next best thing since sliced bread or Mike Lowen, and it doesn't happen. The I'm stats on that, the stats, yeah, the stats on that are horrid. Was it something like there's 1.5 million, you know, kids that are into football in academies, and you've got more chance being hit by a meteorite than you have of actually making it. That's crazy. And I think that happened last week somewhere in Gloucester. A meteorite did land in the country. That's crazy. So that's how it organically started. And then the fifth one that I've developed in you know, the last 15, 18 months was the sort of mental health, um, helping footballers understand about depression, gambling, uh, positive sort of aspect, PMA when they're on the pitch. And sometimes, yeah, the top clubs, you could argue, do something. But what if you're Championship, League One, League Two, and you have a pandemic and you're in the, the Vanarama? They haven't got that. So if we can supplement a footballer, so our strap line is keeping you onside, on and off the pitch. So basically, as soon as you cross that white line, um, the player can be the best that he can be and play to the highest level, knowing that financially, legally, and education-wise, which I think are the three main things that I would drum into anyone, are catered for, then I think you've got, you've got a better chance, a fighter's chance of making it. I have to say, first of all, thank you very much for explaining everything so clear and thoroughly to us, Marco. That was, that was brilliant Pleasure. to just listen to. And it's very few times when all of us on Friday Night Counter Attack are just like stunned in just what you just <laughs> said, really, in the fact that... Um, Eat, man. It's, it's, it's crazy, the fact that, like, for me, the main takeaway for me was that whole Burton player of yeah. not being able to sit his A-levels. They don't want to... Um, further his education because they thought he's going to be the best player or he's going to be the saviour for Burton Albion Football Club yeah. and he gets released two years later for whatever reason and he's just there like now I've got, now I've got to start all over again I've got to do all of this by myself all over again and my football yeah. club has detrimented my future in more than one way which is awful but and he's, he's 23 he's turning 24 and guess what he does now and, he's, and yet he's only 24 lads working in he a factory maybe in a warehouse something like that no A-levels 
<laughs> no, he, he's running a successful recruitment agency in the Midlands for education. Brilliant. I rate that. I rate that. You know, and fair play to him, but he again is the is the minority that you know thought, okay, I'm not going to make it as a footballer. The parents then reinvested in him to go and get an education, and that's paying dividends that he's running the recruitment agency. But for every you know Johnny. We can all name collectively ten people that haven't and won't. And I don't want that. Doesn't always work out like that. I mean, he's got he's obviously got a very strong mindset. Some people don't, and they just they're like they get released and it, their lives just go like that. And then what yeah. else happens? You know. Yeah, so true. So I thought, good question, and I didn't think that we know that I wasn't going to get asked that question. But since I got to know Hamza, like you, follow you, I was like thinking, right, what else can I do? What is the next level of protection for a footballer? So I'm based in Torquay. So I'm quite fortunate. I've got Torquay, Plymouth and Exeter on my doorstep. But the likes of Plymouth and Exeter, so they're League 1, 2 respectively, and Torquay, I think, will go up and then they'll be in the League 2. They get released players all the time. And there isn't that funnel to continue their development. So I'm now looking at setting up what's called an RTC. So it's a regional talent centre for the Southwest. So for players that are under 18 that get released, okay, you haven't made it at Exeter or Plymouth. Guess what? You know, taking in also the Vanarama, there's 91 clubs in the Football League and there's 24 in the Vanarama and there's 48 in the North and South. Let's make sure that you don't become, as you just said, someone that goes down and down and down. You've got a skill, you've got a talent, you haven't made it there, doesn't mean you can't make it here. That's, that's quite positive to hear that you're doing that as well. And the fact that, like when you and I had that first conversation, the fact that I I said, and Arif and um, Saf and Vish aren't here, but from our first episode, when we have a conversation, is because like at my old workplace, they weren't giving me the time of day because I was strung, strung, uh, I was struggling mentally as well. So I was just there like, you know what, I'm going to kind of fish something for myself as well. And that was something that Arif was very passionate as well at the same time. Arif will probably remember we had the conversation after our Friday night football for a good 30, 40 minutes, probably a really long conversation we had about our mental state, how we've not been looked after and how we kind of have to try and do something that will help other people. And I believe that that's something that we've done what 21 episodes in and we're kind of learning everything comes at a cost in a way for different people. And yeah. I've kind of learned how that, has helped, has helped me, hopefully it's helped Arif and Salim and anyone else who's been struggling since the lockdown's begun. But realistically, as an agent, were, were you the agent of this player personally, Marco? No, no. So no. He, he, was, he was already out of the game. Oh, but okay. I wanted him. So we got him on camera. So the, the premise behind it was I wanted to speak to a current premiership footballer to find out about his experiences of being with an agent and how he got to be playing originally for Mitchell and Lewisham in London to then playing for West Ham, mm. but then also understanding what happened to a player that had been in the academy and had a bit more of a silver mouth or silver tongue route to it, because Antonio didn't, and what happened to him. So I really wanted the two sides of the coin, because to me, that's, that is what the game of two halves is. We all know that football's 90 minutes, and you can go back to Istanbul with Milan winning 3-0, and then what happened second half, Liverpool go and turn it around and win. To me, life is no different in football. The first part of your life or the first half is being your professional footballer. But actually, what's going to happen in the second half? And let's be fair, the second half is much bigger than the first half. 
because you're hoping that you're going to make 80, 85 years, God willing. You know, so what do you do for 50 years? How do you survive? Not everyone's going to do what Robbie Fowler's doing. No, do you know what? He, he gets a lot of, I wouldn't say bad press, but negative press back in the day. He was a clever bunny, though. He, yeah. he, just, he just knew to buy property. Yeah. Uh, the racehorses, you could say, is always a bit of a gamble. And he ha- I think he's got that streak a little bit like Owen. But he was canny enough to think, I'll just buy, start buying properties, properties, properties. And that's his, more, that's his pension. You know? So, fair, and Matt Manaman, and it's funny how someone must have taken him to one side or he had the wherewith rule himself. I don't know which. Uh, he, he was speaking to someone. I remember reading, reading about it. I think Saf from our podcast shared it with us on our group. And he was saying about how he, he literally had that education whilst he was a player. So like you said, whilst you're a player, like a lot of footballers nowadays, they'll still go through their coaching badges and other things like that whilst they're playing yeah. because they can afford to do it. And it's easy and it's giving them a lifeline for the future. But with Robbie Fowler, it was something that he learned as a player as well. And because he spent lots of time injured um, in his latter years as well or on the yeah. bench. Not to like throw shade or anything like that at him, but the fact that he had a lot more time, basically, he got to learn a, a lot more in detail about it. So I was, again, yeah. just clever thinking from Robbie Fowler, yeah. the person whose name I forgot who was teaching him. And let's be fair, footballers have a lot of time on their hands anyway, and that's where I, I want to try and fill that time. I don't want them going on apps that are so easily on your phone. So as an example, Andros Townsend, he, was, he famously came out and said they were in the playoff final and obviously, it was the night before they were at Wembley. So he was pretty hyped. But he was like, couldn't sleep. And he, he did a lot of money at the bookies that night. Who is helping protect that player? Didi Arman, he's another one that was in my 4-4-2. He did something like £400,000 on a cricket match. He knows nothing about cricket. Again, who's helping? You know, let's be fair. Unless it's India, South Africa, Australia or England, I wouldn't be betting on cricket. It was probably watching Gloucester play Essex. But my point is, don't, don't be doing that sort of money or understand if you can do that and you can afford it, then you've got to, you've got to, you've got to roll with those punches. But then if you don't have that education in the first place or someone that's going to have what I would call, I'm assuming we can say this online, the balls to actually sit down to a player and say, no, you're not going to do that. So... If you allow me, I'm going to give you a prime example, and it actually centres around Mikel Antonio. So it was last February at um, Stamford Bridge, which is quite funny because we were going to do it in January. And he said, no, look, Marco, can we not do it in January? And I didn't really join the dots. I said, why not? He said, because I'm a West Ham boy and I'm coming to Stamford Bridge in a transfer window. I'm not doing it. I went, oh, yeah, actually, that does make a bit more sense. So we did it in February after the window had closed. And I sat him down. And I said to him, look, so West Ham have just literally just bought Jared Bowen from Hull. Um, and they bought him. Yeah. And yeah, he's done well. How much? 20 mil, I think. Yeah, I think it was 20 mil. But here's here's the horror stat for you, which goes back to my point of someone having that strength. He was on nine grand a week at Hull. Personally, I think you could probably buy Hull for £9,000. I don't know why you kept on paying him every week. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he's only nine grand a week. He goes to West Ham, he's 23, signs a five-year contract, and he gets £50,000 a week. It's a fair play to his agent. His agent's done a very, very good job. I said, if I was representing Jared Bowen, I would have sat him down and said, you're in the, you're in the top league now, you're an elite player, an elite earner, but I'm only going to give you £20,000 a week. Mikel Antonio recall. He goes, what are you doing? You won't be in business long, and you won't be liked. 
I said, I will be in business and I'm not here to be liked. He said, but I don't understand why you would do that. I said, so, okay, you're earning 20,000 pounds a week. You can have anything you like, whatever you, you can't spend nine grand a week. Let's be honest, lads. No, God knows how you, yeah, I don't know how you spend You can dream. Grand. You can dream. But my point is, how do you spend nine grand every week? You, I don't think you can, let alone 20,000. But because you've been elevated to a premiership side, there's your 20K. And then we can say, what are you doing with the 30,000? Straight away thinking, you're doing something with it. I went, I'm not even touching it. It's going to be put to one side. Even if you're old school and you want to leave it into your bank account, which earns you obviously no interest. He went, right. I said, so in 10 weeks, what have you got there? He's sharp. He goes, well, 300,000 pounds. I said, that's just 10 weeks. I said, just bear with me. So, you know, 52 weeks in the year. But if you do that for 30 weeks, pretty much half the year, and you're doing that regularly, you've got 900,000 pounds. Bit of interest, you've got a million pounds. You do that for five years. You've got five million pounds in your bank. You're 28. And you've still got 20,000 pounds a week for the other rest of the weeks of the year, which was 22. Straight away, Antonio goes, yeah, I get it. He said, no one did that for me when I was a player coming up. He said, I now always have to get a five-year contract, always go for 70,000 pounds, gives me security because I'm playing catch up. But no one was doing that and no one is doing that. And that's when I knew I was on to something. Yeah, Marco, what if I'm a player and you're representing represent me and I'm saying, no, you're not, you're not, you're not taking my money. I'm not. What if I say no? Then ultimately you're my client and you're going to say no. Okay. But when you then, what happens in those five years if you get a career-threatening injury and you're out of the game? You, your contract stops. Your contract stops on year three. So you, you've done your Balotelli, as I call it. You, you've got the, the Bentley that you've put in the camouflage. You've got the, the biggest... He definitely blew all of his money. I think he's broke. I, I right. think he's broke right now. And yet, he's got the super agent, Raiola, looking after him. He hasn't. He's got Raiola that's got him the best moves and the best contract, but no one's managed Mario. I want to ask you about Raiola. Yeah, what, far away. What, what do you think of him? Okay, I think, I think he's not misunderstood. I met him. Yeah, last... I met him... Last I like him, Jan- by the way. Just putting that out. I like him. Okay. okay. I met him last January with Mendes. I'll send the picture to yeah. Hamza. So we were at the um, agents meeting that was called by Jonathan Barnett. Um, because obviously all the agents now are going to be having be told by FIFA, you've got to sit an exam, we're going to cap your commission, and your Mendes and Riolas, and everyone doesn't like it because basically you're now capping what you think I can earn. In answer to your question, he's a necessary evil. I think he's good for the game, uh, and I think he does things nine times out of ten for what I would say for the right reason, but I think he's very misunderstood, and because he's got you know, probably the best list of players. Let's be fair. You've got your Haaland's, your Slatans, Ibrahimovic. Yeah. What he can't do, which is what Mendes does better, is is this. Yeah, sure. Right. Ryola can't do that. Whereas Mendes is slick. You never hear him. Never. You, you, you know, yeah, you, you everyone will go, yeah, but he's, he's Mr. Wolves. Yeah, but he does it quietly. He does it nicely. goes about his business. And, he, and he's got Ronaldo on his books. Mm. So, Bruno Fernandes as well, I think. Yeah, he's got Mourinho, Mourinho, Neves. He's got all the big Portuguese, which is why Wolves' second or third kit is basically the Portuguese kit. Uh, And he's a director there as well. But he's gone about it a different way. Raiola is that 
that street dog that you can always hear barking, whereas yeah. Mendes is more of the, the, the posh poodle. And they're going to kill me for calling them a street dog and a poodle. But you, you, And I try and think, okay, where do I want to be? I, I never pitch myself at really wanting to try and get the A-listers because I think there's a hell of a lot that can be done and should be done in the championship, the league ones and the league twos. They, to me, are the heartbeat of football. The premiership is the promised land. It's like, it's slightly unattainable you know, for so many players. But why can't you dream... And that's why I say, I want to go with the journey with my player. My analogy is, you're driving your car, Hamza. You're the player. I'm merely your passenger. And every now and then, I'm just going to give you some direction. But ultimately, it's your life, your career, your journey. And you just need someone to give you guidance every now and then. And that's what we do when we go on the road trip. That driver, and let's be fair, they know where they want to go. And they might have the missus or their best mate who thinks they know what they want to do. But we always run roughshod on it. I liken my job to that. I need to listen to someone. They need to, I need to understand them. What makes them tick? How am I going to develop that person? And if they start off at 18 at Plymouth in League One and Plymouth do well, they're going to automatically go to the Championship. If Plymouth don't do well, but they do well, they get scouted. So the system says, you're now going to be in the Championship. Great. You could stay in the Championship all of your life. It took Leeds 17 years to get back to the Premiership. So that's a generation of players that have never played in the Premiership. They're still a professional footballer at one of the biggest clubs this country's ever got. Well, who wouldn't? I'd take that. I'm an Arsenal fan. But if I'd had five, six, seven, ten years at Leeds United, I'd look back and think, I'm a happy boy. And I just think that they're always sold a dream players that they're going to be the next Messi, the next Ronaldo's. I can get you those boots. I can get you that kit. Be real. Manage them. Manage that expectation. Is that something you see too much in agents nowadays? Like we've seen a lot of yeah. people and you and I will know a lot about, you know, the LinkedIn agents, the fake agents and stuff like yeah. that. Just DMing you whenever you've got, um, you've, you've posted something or something stupid like that. And for like those of you people who don't know, you'll get loads of people who pretend to be agents on social media, mostly LinkedIn, saying, oh, I've got a player from... Uh, such and such his this position has done this this and this in the game um can you give him a trial like for me as like my LinkedIn will say a scout so like, can you give him a, a trial at um such and such club I'm like where's your credentials where's this where's that and they just go blank they go dark afterwards but Marco is that kind of one of the things in the modern game amongst other things that gives kind of agents negative press in a way would you say like yeah, do, 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 do you see that quite a lot nowadays as well for yourself yeah, see, to me, again, it's the checks and balances. So I'm proud that up there is my practicing certificate. I think if you were going to buy a house, you're going to go through an estate agent. You, how many people are really going to go through a Facebook market post? Some will, but... You, you, Some you know, will believe it. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's no different. If you're regulated, licensed, insured, all that stuff, then you should be able to know in a heartbeat what your intermediary number is. Mine's 004433. Gutted, because I wanted it to be 007. Someone else has got that. Yeah, I know. It's funny you say that. I've got to swear. <laughs> swear to God. You can't see it on the certificate because it's on the back. When I got admitted as a sister, you get a roll call number. My, and it's six digits. 420006. So I missed it again. Uh... And we all know that 006 gets killed. So I wasn't yeah. happy about that. And I just think the next person that got admitted has got 420007. 
anyway. So the answer to your question, Hamzik, yes, I see it more and more often. I think it needs to be regulated. I want there to be an exam. And if you pass an exam, then I think you're, you're halfway there, not all the way there, I think you're halfway there to saying you're more qualified than all of the agents that are out there at the moment. So if you didn't know, and I apologise, but the backstory is up to 2015, you had to take the FIFA exam, which was 50 multiple choice questions. 40 were based on FIFA regulations. 10 were based on your, your FA. And it had a pass mark of something like 80%. 2015, FIFA said, you know what, we can't be asked with this. We're going to give it back to everyone's FA. Italian FA, Swiss FA, English FA. English FA thought, I can't be asked to regulate that. Tell you what, we'll charge £500 plus VAT. You have a mobile phone and a clean criminal record. Right, quiz question number two. This is for all three of you. How many agents did we have in 2014, 2015? What were you thinking? Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds? Um, 2,000. 3,000. Yeah, what, 5,000, I'd say? Okay, no, in 2014, 2015, it was just over 400. What? How many agents do you think there are now? Bloody hell. About 20,000. No, you've gone too high again. I'm not going on <laughs> play your cards right with um, Sal. He goes way high, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 10,000? 4,000. 4,000. That's crazy. Yeah, 1,000%. Yeah, 1,000% increase. How many professional footballers are there? Not even that in the UK. Correct. Not even that many. So straight away, the market is saturated with people that had effectively £600. Now FIFA have said, do you know what? We're going to turn the tables. We want everyone to be licensed, regulated, have professional indemnity insurance. And I'm all for that. What I'm not all for is there to be a cap on what I can earn. Now, I think you should earn the right wage or the right salary or the right commission for the right job that you do. I didn't go into it to make millions. I believe if I do my job right, the money will follow. It's a byproduct of going with someone that's licensed, regulated and qualified, as opposed to someone that can get you the best contract for two, three years, go in, take their 10% and then they piss off. And you think, right, okay, so how does that player now move from London to the northeast, let's say Newcastle, do they know a house, the local area, where do their kids go to school? Those agents don't care. They'll say, not my problem. I've got you 100 grand a week. And you just think, no, but that's not, that's not what you should be doing. Where's your duty of care? Because looking back at it now, I, I'm glad you mentioned the Northeast, and I think Salim, you've seen this this show as well, the Sunderland one, the Sunderland till yeah. I die one. I've watched yeah, it. Yeah. You watched as well, Arif, mm. yeah, and Marco, brilliant. But do you remember um, that episode with Josh Madger about how there's a few, but there's that one that focused just on Josh Madger being the new superstar of Sunderland Football Club. Yeah, did he go to France? Yeah, he went to Bordeaux. Yeah, so Bordeaux. He, yeah, he went to. He was playing some amazing football, scoring all the goals as a new hero in Sunderland, who were. Uh, closing to the January transfer window. So he got them close to the top of the league and close to the automatic places, I think second yeah. or third at the time. And then throughout the whole episode, it was like, are you going to stay? What are you going to do? Uh, the Netflix people were saying that. And then he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to stay. And then he went to one of those like Christmas lighting the tree thing. And then yeah. he was just, all the kids were like, oh, are you going to stay, Josh? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stay. But the fact that you don't see his agent throughout the whole thing, he's not there with him in Sunderland the whole time. You're just there like, 
is kind of making the decision for him. And we've had an agent on the show previously, Salem, uh, Tony Sharkey. And he was like, it's always the player's decision to make to move to the club. But Josh was literally just there, like loved and adored by everyone in Sunderland. And we yeah. all saw how passionate the fans in Sunderland are. We've known it from first-hand experience of Arsenal and Man United and Villa games as well. But you're just literally there like he was doing so well. He could have literally stayed there for the rest of the season and then left on a free transfer. But he would have been adored by Sunderland fans. But then he went to become just another player for Bordeaux and now just another player for Fulham as well. He's doing Correct. good at Fulham at the moment. But it's just one of those things where you kind of get a lot of whispers in your ear from the agent. And that's kind of why I'm like, there's so many people that out there that are just like, oh yeah, let's blame it on the agent. The media will blame yeah. it on the agent. The fans will blame it on the agent. But is that the case with you, with your players? I'm not sure how many players you have, Marco, or anything like that, but do, oh, they, like to, on, do yeah. they like to blame it on you in a way if there's something wrong happening? Yeah, look, I think it's very easy. And sometimes you definitely need to have a thick skin and a bigger set of balls than the average man because everyone is quite happy to lay it at the foot of the agent. So I've got a player that's currently in Cyprus. Wow. You know, and yeah, so they've got, they're having a nightmare with COVID, a nightmare with paying. And I've got this player that's phoning me, WhatsApp and me, and you're like thinking, okay, look, the choice is, do I come back or you just sweat it out? But whatever you do, if you go route A, this is what is the likelihood of happening. If you go route B, this is what we can do. Route B, obviously coming home. But ultimately, I can't make that decision for you. All that I see my job as is, is creating opportunities, advising when I need to advise, but it, it, it's your choice. On the, on the Josh Madger thing, it, it, his agent, I think, from, from memory of watching it and what subsequently came out was, you basically put him in a shop window at Sunderland and he performed well. And whilst he was doing that every game, he was then touting them around clubs. And then he got a big enough bite and went. That wasn't necessarily, I think, the right thing for the player because he didn't settle or do so well at Bordeaux. And he's now come back to Fulham, which I don't think he might have scored one goal. But again, he hasn't really set the Prem up alight. And don't forget, he's, he's gone from a League One side. That's quite a gap. Bordeaux obviously would be in the top tier of French football. And then he's gone, you know, again, I think, uh, probably another league up. It's too big a jump. You know, and that's the other thing I'm, I say to my players. I think you need to organically get to where you need to go. And if someone's coming in and they really want you, then I'm not going to stay in your way. But do you know what? Chris Sutton, I don't know if you guys remember, he, yeah. he went to Chelsea. He couldn't hit a barn door. It was just the wrong move. Torres, again, I know it's Chelsea, went from Liverpool. Torres, Torres was the man. Even I like Torres. He went to Chelsea. Yeah. I was like, what happened? And, He's the best and you yeah, but you've got to ask yourself, why? Because I'm a firm believer of cream rises. And if you're a quality player, you can play anywhere. But something wasn't right. And that's, to me, that's the agent's job. You've got to do your due diligence. You've got to see, has that club got a revolving door policy with a manager? Yes. Has that club going to naturally play to what your strengths are? Or have you got to adapt as a player? And if the answers are no to those, but they're showing you the most money you know, the old Jerry Maguire showing me the money, then it's you're doing it for the wrong reasons, I'm going to think it's going to fail. Yeah, that's something I was thinking as well. Like, you wouldn't, like, obviously, if you're in a position to get them into a bigger club, would you do that even if you know the player doesn't suit their style of play? Would you do that? Would you not do that? But you kind of cleared no. that up without me having to ask you that, which I would, makes complete the only, sense. 
Yeah, the only thing I would do is if, let's say, the player is anywhere between 18 and 20, I would make sure he's going to a club that had an under-23 side. Because then I think he can get first team, he'll be playing against the first team, and he'll adapt, and then you'll naturally grow. Again, it's that organic growth. To me, I can't think, and here's another quiz question, I can only think of one player in the last 20-odd years that has organically done it from 16 and maintained it. And who do you think that is? What, from the one club? No, 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 not one club, but was ready as a footballer, the finished article pretty much from the age of 16. Wayne Rooney. Correct. Legend. And I, I can't think of another, and it's not, it's not being xenophobic. I can't, I can't think of a, a foreigner, let alone a, a, an English or British player outside of Rooney. So it tells you, and that's where, you know, for my patronage, Italy are slightly slow. They don't let you really play top table until you're 26, 27, 28. They always want you to have experience. Whereas you've got other countries like Spain that will invest a lot more in youth, a bit like France did with the uh, Clairefontaine, and that will organically. England, I don't know what we try and do. We try and do a bit of both. We went with the golden yeah. age, and it didn't work. We're now trying to go with the youth. I'm not too sure that's going to work. We fall well, look, between the two stools. The crazy thing is, I don't know how we've got the players that we've got right now in the squad. If you look, if you think about the youngsters we got, I don't know how that's happened. No got some quality players in there but I've got no idea how it's happened yeah it's just happened though isn't it because we all remember that golden age of footballers whether it was your Shearers and your Gascoins and your Platt and your Lineker that then sort of morphed into your Nevilles your Beckhams your Skulls and then all of a sudden it went a bit wonky you know you, yeah. you, you know no disrespect to these players because they were great players but how excited do you get when you got Heskey and Crouch up front it, it, it didn't we had Paul Lambert, Paul Lambert up front at one, one stage as well. Yeah. Ricky Lambert. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Ricky Lambert. Ricky Lambert. Yeah, Ricky Lambert. Uh, yeah, Ricky Lambert. <laughs> Arif, yeah. you're doing so well with your football knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> this is normal yeah, for Ricky Lambert. <laughs> See, I don't even remember as a player. I mean, I knew he played for, obviously, Southampton, but... And then Liverpool now, as yeah, well. Liverpool. You, you, you look at, you know, you've got Rashford, Greenwood, Foden, Smith-Rowe, Saka... You know, and you've got a bit of experience in goal, obviously, with like to not, not Grealish, though, right? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I, see, I would, I, but the problem is, depending on what formation you're going to play, if we're going to play a sort of the the diamond or a 3 5 2 sort of formation, you sort of is he a luxury? Because at the moment, I, yeah, England squad to me at the moment reminds me historically of how Arsenal always were. We had one very good person up front, way too many what I call chimney sweep midfielders, as in they were all small, slight, like your Javis, as in we had Fabregas, Ozil, and you just thought, where were all the men gone? And I think England's gone that way. I don't think they've got an enforcer in the middle of the park. Yeah, we've got a quality footballers. I mean, really good, technically gifted footballers, but then we haven't got any like really strong, strong midfielder don't you someone's going to take you out someone's going to yeah. slightly like... should I ring Maybe the Declan Rice. Should I, yeah, I was going to say should I, yeah. should I say Declan Rice to throw it in there as well yeah, he, he's definitely in the squad he's your enforcer though is I he there know. yet mentally as, I mean this is a captain of West Ham we need, we need, a, we need an English well. Holberg we need an English Holberg that's all we need English Roy Keane more like yeah actually one of them absolute enforcer right there but or, no, or, or, or English Vieira yeah that'll be the ultimate one 
Yeah, see, it's funny. When we get to do the six-a-side, I've got in mind a proper enforcer. And that, that's just maybe the Italian in me. So I've got your fancy bands, but I've got one that will go through a brick wall. And I don't think England... England don't have that player. Uh, and, I, and I don't see how we're all going to get that in the next couple of years, because I think we've got what I call all chimney sweep midfielders. Let's go into our six aside now. Let's take a break from the, 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 the agent chat. Let's have a little break from that. So, okay. Marco, I know you, for those of you who are listening, Marco is actually surprisingly excited by this. He, he was like, I texted him the other day and I was like, yeah, yeah we're going to do the five aside. He's like, five? You said six, Hamza. I was like, oh yeah, this is a typo, my bad. But nah, it's, it's going to be fun. So, Marco, in honour of you being here today and obviously with your Italian heritage, you can go first with your Italian six aside. So, by all means, educate okay, us on your so- six aside. Okay, my combined five, sorry, six, because Hamza did allow me my sixth person, and I've even chosen a coach. That's how excited I got. Oh, my they've God. Got, they've got 522 international caps between six players. Legend between the sticks, undisputed for me, had to be Gigi Buffon. You know, 176 caps, five Serie A titles, a relegation, and a World Cup. And I don't, he's one of those people, I don't know of anyone that could say a bad word or not put him in that top bracket. And is still playing. He may be on the bench or Juventus, but he's still in the game at the moment as a player. Yeah, and he went to PSG, won it there, and he came back to Juve. And you just think, legend. He was a legend. He, he, he grew the legendary status. It started, it fermented in his Palmer days. And then he just went into a, a Juve side that, okay, it then did have the, the sort of um, Galacticos, as the Madrid called it. He, he was the boy. He, 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 him and Zoff are just Italian goalkeeping legends. And I weighed up the two because I grew up with Zoff. He was, you know, obviously he played one in 82 and I was 10. So I grew up sort of knowing Zoff. And then we had a, a plethora of keepers like Zenga, Paniuka, Toldo. But Buffon is my boy in the sticks. It's still, it's still about, it's still there, playing at the top level. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you boys, one of these going to be Man United, but how old is Schmeichel? What, how old is he now? Yeah. Like you know probably, he's probably around the same age as Buffon right now, probably a few, just a couple of years older. No, Schmeichel's like 55, isn't it? He retired in, what, 2003? Did he? Yeah. Blimey, he's been out of the game nearly 20 years. Yeah, man. That's crazy. <laughs> That's why he's got a son who's... He just won a Premier League. His son's 31 or 32 years old. He's got to be that old, right? Yeah, Peter Schmeichel. 57, it's 57. 57. You can't see the phone, but yeah, 57. Ah, But that, to me, was always the the comparison of keepers. And yeah, you you give the nod to Schmeichel for what he did at Man United. And yeah, Denmark did win the Euros when, God knows, a bit like Leicester winning the league. Every other major European team went missing. But Mm. for me, Buffon... And then in front is my all-time favourite footballer. Now, I'm a die-hard gooner, but no one budges the world's best number three, Sir Paolo Maldini. He's just my all-time favourite. Yeah, we know who you voted for mm. in our little Maldini versus Totti conversation a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. 
Joe, you know what? I love you, boys. I was embarrassed that you put it versus Maldini versus Totti. It shouldn't have been. If you do it was someone Ari? else. Do you, do you know who said Totti? Do you know who said Totti? I'll tell you, but I was I was just pulling strings. I'll, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. You, were, you were genuine. No, you and Saf are no, genuine. No, I, like, I, I love, I, I like Totti more than uh, Maldini. Um, you know, I've got more of an attacking mind, especially when playing. I mean, I, and I love attacking players more, of course, than I do defenders, but the let the if you're saying who's who's a bigger legend, of course it's Maldini. Can't argue dispute that. But as in who do I love more? It's Totti. No, that's fair. Yeah, look, but you didn't even know where you, you didn't even know where his shirt number was. Yeah, you had to wait for number to 10. Say My it. mind went blank. So you know, Maldini for me was one man club, won everything more than once, and he was a good looking bastard. But again, 126 caps, seven Serie A titles, European Cup winner five times. Lost the Euros championships on golden goal to France. Yeah, I, I just, even now you can have Roberto Carlos. You can have, you can have. I don't think there's anyone in the modern game that comes close to Maldini. Winning the European Cup five times, seven titles. Look, no one's got, no one can counter that. Not even Arif with Totti. Totti is a different conversation. Um, but in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of decoration. No, just he, he could play left back or he could play the left-sided centre-back. He played with Costa Curta, Nesta, Baresi, but it was always Maldini that shone through. So, Marco, let me get to so you're saying he's the, he's, the best player, he's the best player ever for you. Is that what you're saying right now? Or yes. Why, he's the I think best. he's ranked as the best ever Italian player, I think. Yeah, one of the best. Are we just saying Italian or ever in all countries? No, no, he's my best Italian player. Okay, Italian. Time. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so the best in your six aside, right? Italian I think I heard goal. you say that. Yes, he's the best in my six aside. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought yeah. you heard. So obviously, I've got a few more to name, but yeah, I look at it and I think there's not much that can go through that. Okay, now we get to my holding midfielder, the one that's got. Not no. another second defender, given the whole history of Italian footballers and their defence. No. no, because, and you'll, you'll understand it, depending on the formations that you make. If you've got Buffon in goal, and then you've got Maldini in front, Tony, yeah, the, per- the person, the way you do, the person that sits, that's going to break down the flair players that are coming, Reno Gattuso. Absolute tiger. Again, 73 caps for Italy, two Serie A titles, not a lot. Won the European Cup twice, won a World Cup, went to Scotland and done it in Rangers and just had that no fuss, no flair. I will, I'll get you or I might get the ball. So now you think you get past Catuso, you've done very, very well. Now you've got Maldini, who was just going to usher you out with Silk. Mm. And then you've got Superman in the sticks. So I don't think I'm conceding a lot. So now... Now we go to the attacking bit. You know, Aris eyes have got bigger thinking, okay, we've done the crappy defence bit. Now, how are we all going to push forward? How are we going to score? Because we know if you don't score in football, you don't win. Okay. So when we won the World Cup in 2006, he got described as having the pallor of a funeral taker or an undertaker. None other than Perlo. For me, Andrea Perlo, again, smashed it at Milan, smashed it at Juve, uh, went over to New York. He just oozes class. I've never seen no, him break a sweat. I don't think I've ever seen him break a sweat. No, no pace. Didn't need it. Swivel on a dime. Would get the ball from Gattuso in my head. And he did when they were at Milan. And would just 
it just pinged it. He read the game, saw the game a little bit like Brazy. Brazy was a bit hard done by not to get in, but no one can usurp Sir Paolo. So I'm like thinking, okay, so we've got a Juve keeper and two Milan stalwarts. Now, now we need some jazz. Now you're going to Rome. No, we're not going to Rome. We don't go anywhere near Rome. Oh, Arif's heartbroken by that. Why not? Seriously. Okay. <laughs> but when I now say I've got a Ballon d'Or winner in Robbie Baggio, you'll understand why I'm not having Totti. I've got him as well. I haven't Baggio. seen him. Like, that's, 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 that's my rule. If he, I haven't seen them play, legend. I can't pick them. I've watched that's a lot of videos rule. on him. I've watched a lot of videos on him. He, 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 he was the he was legend of the last generation, wasn't he? The like, ponytail. Yeah, yeah missed miss penalty. Miss penalty, penalty in 94 yeah. World Cup. Yeah, look, don't piss on my chips. Let's not talk about that <laughs> missed penalty. There's, That's all I know about him. Knows him. No, but That's I tell you why everyone sad. knows about him. It's because um, because they made that game on mini clip about him. That bad deal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little game about um, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Well, they're actually doing, you know, they've done obviously the Maradona and they've done a, an Anelka Netflix documentary. They're doing one on Robbie Baggio. They've done one on Pelé recently as well. Yeah, Pelé they've just released as well. So they've commissioned one for Robbie Baggio. But Robbie Baggio took Italia 90 by storm. Uh, and then 94 dragged a really, really average Italian team all the way to the World Cup final, where we lost on penalties to Brazil. But Baggio's, you know, again, he won the Ballon d'Or. He, he got to a World Cup final. He's played for Brescia, Inter, AC, Fiorentina, Juve, and again, was seamless. It, and he it could take a free kick, could take a penalty and would lay it on the plate. He used to do it for the likes of Vieri. So for me, definitely from 1990, when I was 18 in that World Cup, all the way through, the, the guy that I had on my shirt was Robbie Baggio. For the record, I never grew that horrendous divine ponytail because uh, I'm not a Buddha, mm. but each to their own. And then he looked good. He looked, he looked good with it, though. I think. No, yeah, you're right. Some people can pull it yeah. off. I, I would just look like a pride D I C K if I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then up front, my number ten, Del Piero. Say no more. Again, really. What do you yeah. need to say about a, a legend like that who's, who's done yeah. there, done it, been there, done that, and six Serie A titles, a European Cup, a World Cup, done it in Germany's backyard, and again. You know, look at his goals were never boring. Also, also what you said as well about Buffon, he got relegated and he came back up with you at UV. He could have left for a bigger club, but he didn't. He stayed 100%. with himself. And yeah. and, it, and his, he did the hard bit for Juventus. So you've got yeah. to respect people like that as well, who stayed with their club and stayed loyal. And that's why the yeah. fans cherish and love him. Yeah, it was the Calciopoli thing. How many players, and a lot of them did leave, but... But the hardcore, funny enough, the Italians, it was what we call Stavanieri, which is strangers or foreigners. They left. They followed mm. the dime. But the, 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 the Italians didn't. And you know, Del Piero stayed true to the cause. And yeah, that's what fans like. That, to me, shows passion. So that's my six lads. Buffon, Maldini, Gattuso, that's a very Carlo, six. and Del Piero. Yeah, that's a quality six, that. Pretty similar to Marcos, but I've got Buffon between the sticks. I don't think I can say anything after what Marcos said to do him justice. Got Maldini. I've literally got three number 10s. I've got Perlo, Totti and Del Piero. I've obviously got to have Totti there. World-class, very loyal footballer. I yeah. don't get many of those anymore. Um, and I've got Baggio as well. Okay. 
I'll, I'll very, go next. Very attacking, more and more of an attacking team. Was that exactly the same besides the one? Yeah, Totti in for yeah. someone else. No, just yeah, Totti. Got Totti instead of I think Gattuso Marco had. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So on. I've gone for a bit of a different theme because I didn't really see you know Baggio play, so I thought I'd <laughs> keep it a bit different. So I went for Buffon in net, obviously. Uh, at the back, I've gone for Maldini and Cannavaro. Yeah. Instead of putting that in four string, that's I thought a wall, I'd get a World right. Cup that's a wall right there. Yeah, just straight World Cup winner in there. And then in front of that, I've got Perlo with uh, Del Piero and Totti up top. Oh, my God. What, is that your team? That's exactly the same as mine. No, what Buff- a chance. Can't be. It, it happens with everyone else but me. I always feel like, no, I've got, I've got a good thing. But with Italian legends like this, you can't really... You can't well, really... You could, have, you could just put like Nesta in for Cannavaro. That was the one I was... I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking rather Nesta for Cannavaro. I was going to be a bit cheeky and try and fit in Zaghi in there somewhere for his goals against Liverpool in the Champions League final in 2007 because that was a fun sight for us. But now, Buffon, Maldini, Cannavaro, obviously Ballon d'Or winner, World Cup winner, uh, captain for Italy in 2006 as well. Andrea Perlo, Alessandro Del Piero and Totti, two truckwatistas who really, really kind of epitomise Italian football for me, Italian football yeah. in an attacking point of view for me, because nowadays when you look at the attacks, even the last 10 years, look at them. Balotelli, Immobile, um, who else you've got? Insigne. These kind of players, they're, they're nowhere near the levels of these um, players that we've seen yeah. previously. They may score oh, the goals yeah. like Immobile. Balotelli may have his iconic moments every now and then, but they've not won a trophy in what? 2006. They haven't, they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, which was Awful for a neutral point of view as well. I mean, they did well against England and they did well against Uruguay and Costa Rica in 2014, but anyone could everyone could do well against that England side in 2014. But realistically, you don't see many flair players like you do in the Italians nowadays. And that's kind no. of what we miss in a way from Italian football. Because again, like you said, a lot of the strangers are going to Italy and they're kind of doing really well for their teams and for the clubs like Lukaku and Ronaldo. And in the nicest possible way, it's brilliant. But you don't see many... Uh, quality Italians kind of leaving to come to like rather not many came to England I would say but like to France or to um, Spain Germany for example and kind of tearing it up and seeing many Italian youngsters coming through it's it's, it's not the same really as like with the Spanish or the Germans or the English youngsters coming through personally for me anyway No I agree when Italy won the World Cup in 2006 I think I'm right in saying they were the one of the only countries that had 26 players that played in their home league there wasn't one player that played outside of Syria. Uh, and that got a bit of lambasting as 2010 came along in South Africa because obviously the, the football world had sort of developed and evolved. You had Torres that was then doing well in England, Fabregas. Uh, and Italians don't necessarily travel. Yeah, you can quote me, Viali, Zola, Di Matteo. But I always thought there's handfuls, really isn't it? It's not like they don't they don't go like a lot of the English players we've we've highlighted on this podcast have gone across to Germany or to France or other countries where they can actually get game time and, and they can play properly and express their 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 freedom of actually playing. But like you say, yeah. with, with these players in Italy at the moment, like I remember you lost three two to Slovakia in that twenty ten World Cup in South Africa, and you're just there like they shouldn't be out by the group stages. It's Italy. They won the last World Cup. And you got yeah. to the final in two thousand twelve of the Euros as well. And again, that yeah, was just based around Perlo's play. You had yeah. De Marquisio, uh, and I think another centre mid kind of protecting Andre Perlo so he could spray forward passes to Balotelli and 
uh, I forgot the other striker, sorry. But literally, that's kind of how it was. It wasn't the flair plays. It was more based around certain type of tactics and not conceding. Yeah. Well, that is still very much uh, Italian football. Uh, Mancini for um, the Euros, we played 10-1-10. Mm. But for once, we actually scored a fair few goals and they've been spread um, along the side. I think at the moment, there's only one player still in the Italian setup that is outside, and that's Verratti at, at PSG. Pretty mm. much everyone else you know, applies their trade. I mean, the other ones that I think you had Graziano Pelli, do you remember him? He was at Southampton. Yeah, yeah Darmian he, at Man United as well, who went back. Yeah, there's one at West Ham, Angelo Ogbonna. He's still there. Diamante. Now. Diamante was the other one. He was all right when he came. Yeah, oh, yeah. at West Ham at the start. And then way back, yeah, obviously, had Benito Carbone, Paolo De Cano, yeah. but none of them were what I would call first teamers for the Azuri. Mm. They were just, apart from maybe Zola, Zola was the one that had that that bit about him because we beat England at Wembley 1 0, and it was Zola that scored, um, which was back in, I think, 98. But pretty much Italians, I don't think, travel that well, which is why they don't leave their league. Um, mm. And it'll be interesting to see what we do in the Euros. You've got Wales, you've got Switzerland, you've got Turkey. That's not both. See, okay, Wales, Switzerland are not an easy side. They've actually got some quite good players. All right, you know, Shakiri might be a little bit past it. Um, and Turkey again, no, again, I can tell you now, Italy will win two and draw one or win two and lose one. It'll be by the odd goal. But then mm. they gather that momentum. And Italy, I think, wants to get out of a group become a more of a feared side because you don't want I, I wouldn't want to face Italy in a knockout because you know exactly what you're going to get you've got Chiellini and Benucci well as Mourinho called them it's like going to the school of Harvard for, um, for defending it's going to be hard but again they're old you've got um, players like Bastoni for into Milan again Ogbonna who's been around the setup as well got a few different players coming through as well and kind of like Damian's had a re-emergence at Inter Milan as well yeah. there's so many people to kind of look at and think if these defenders stay solid um, Immobile can kind of do his business up front you've got Insigne coming in and around the squad as well but I'm not really I'm not going to pretend like I know about Italian the Italian national team but are there any players that kind of stand out for you Marco in terms of uh, who we should watch out for at the Euros coming forward yeah I think if he gets his chance and you guys are going to say yeah we all know him but you'll be surprised how many times today it's Donnarumma again it's keeper Mm. Donnarumma at Milan has been around a long time and he's only 21-22. I think he's probably the one. I think Verratti's due a good tournament. Yeah. Um, the world needs to see Verratti on, on the proper international stage Verratti's as well. a quality player. He just, we don't really watch French football here. Uh, and yeah, we just see him in Champions League games of that, really. That's, yeah, that's and he gets masked because of Neymar, Mbappe, um Paredes, Di Maria in the midfield as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. He, he gets overlooked. I mean, even Buffon was there. Yeah, just another player in that amazing setup at PSG. But the only kind of young player I know about personally, only haven't seen him in Europa League games, was uh, Zaniolo from Roma, attacking midfielder. I don't know if he starts for Italy or if he's on the bench or in the squad. Or no, whatever, he, but... yeah, he, he's not a starter. But Roma have got some good. Roma are a bit of a funny side, apart from maybe. Jekko, they don't go for, and they've got Mkhitaryan, that many Stranieri, as we call them, and Lazio the same. It's your Milans and your Inters and Juve that get a lot of foreign players in, but yep. they still form the bedrock. 
see, for me, Napoli are just one of those sides that are now actually managed by Cattuso. They've got some homegrown talent whose name at the moment escapes me that watch out for. What we didn't say on our six side was who was going to be uh, our coaches. We don't do so coaches, but you can let us tell us your coach. I'm guessing it's Marcello Lippi. It's not Marcello Lippi. How could it not be Marcello Lippi? Didn't he win? Uh... He did win the World Cup, and Lippi would be there. But mm. I can't quite give it for me. Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti is my favourite Italian manager, even though Lippi has won the World Cup. And it's hard not putting Lippi down, but Ancelotti. Again, he's just won everything everywhere. Mm. Um, and I think he's a very... I wanted him to come to Arsenal. When we didn't get our, uh, before Arteta, I wanted Ancelotti. And I still can't get my head around how he turned up at Everton. Yeah, I can't see of Everton a... sort of... Um, sorry, sorry, I was going to say, I can't see like, Everton fulfilling like his ambition. I think no. you know, Arsenal, was, Arsenal would have been a good shout for him. United would have been a good shout for him. Even Spurs at the time. I mean, there were so many teams. Chelsea, well, Chelsea again it would be, wouldn't it? But... Yeah. yeah, pretty yeah. much. That's what surprises me. I was going to say that as well. Don't you think it's a disservice to Ancelotti's career and his credentials at, is at Everton? Again, not really disrespecting Everton, but what have they won in the last 10, 15 years compared to even with yeah. Arsenal winning the FA Cup every now and then, getting into Europa League finals? He could have taken you another step further to literally competing in the top four, having a solid oh, base again. And I reckon that's something he's doing at Everton, but he gets let down a lot by individual mistakes and some of the players just aren't up for it, unfortunately. Yeah. For me, Carlo would have... Arsenal were a perennial Champions League qualifier, i.e. top four. I think he could have re-established that. Whereas Everton, by the flip side of the coin, when was that? I think they've been in the Champions League, what, once, twice? Mm. In the last 20 years? Something they like that. Have, yeah, and they don't have what I would call marquee players. Wait, what, Everton? Yeah. They've only got to, like, the Champions League... Uh, qualifies, but they've not even got into the Champions League, mate. They've got into like the Europa League sparingly as well. Yeah. So maybe Ancelotti sees it as a project that if he's there five years, he can get them consistently in the top four. But for who he's worked with at Madrid, at PSG, at Juve, at Roma, at Milan, and he was a player. So, yeah, yeah, he's top Terry. Salim, what do you think? Do you reckon there should be something in terms of in terms of coaches kind of getting a bit more respect from their owners as well. Because when you look at it, when you're looking at Ancelotti, he's getting a lot of respect from his owners. I think that's kind of kind of one of the reasons he's there. The fact that his owners are willing to actually bankroll him with this project at Everton. But realistically, in this day and age, we see a lot of managers sacked every season, every two seasons. Chris Wilder left uh, by mutual consent this, this week as well, or on the weekend, yeah. I should say. But yeah. realistically, their money should have been spent how the manager wants to spend it. That's kind of how I see it personally. What would you say, Salim? Yeah, I think like, I mean, when these managers get signed, they sort of agree like a three-year deal, but it's more, it's like there's a three-year project in place that, you know, we've got plans that, you know, milestones every year that we need to hit. I just feel like the manager should get the final say in every signing. But then it's that whole sort of weighing up thing, like, Whereas at Brentford, it's probably like they probably sign the players for you kind of thing. So the manager could be like interchangeable in that sense mm. that if the manager went, they could just get somebody in and it works. But I do feel like, I mean, the manager probably comes in at the start of the season and says that he wants, you know, puts like a short list of three or four per position that he wants and then they try and sign one of them. That's probably the way it should be done. But I think I think it works best when everyone works together, like the chief scout, you know, the sort of football director and the manager because... End of the day, it's the manager that's going to get the player. And if you just buy somebody that he doesn't like or, 
you know that's, that doesn't fit into the system then it's never going to work yeah it's, it's one of those things that you kind of have to deal with and Marco I just wanted to ask you as, as a football agent as well do you yeah. get to deal with kind of football managers on a daily basis or a weekly basis regarding the players that are at the clubs or do you kind of yeah. just leave them to it? Oh, you do? Okay. No, no, you do. And I've got to say, I find that the managers that I deal with, so predominantly League One, League Two, they're very good on WhatsApp and very receptive to speaking. If yeah. you have a player that they believe they're happy to take in on trial and that's better than what they've got or can add, yeah, I find them, I've got to be fair where fair is due. Managers are very receptive. Getting to the manager, though, that's the hard part in the job. So, you know, they're shielded a little bit like the doctor that's got about four secretaries in front of him mm. before you actually get to speak to the main person. But, you know, they're pretty easy to get their mobile numbers. It's not a state secret. And I suppose, again, it's a bit of the, the murky side of the, of the industry that I don't like because... You, you can just WhatsApp or phone someone. And I just think, well, hang on, how do you get my details? But I play that game in that I will put in a, one of the chats that I, I'm in, that I'm, I'm trusted with, and say, okay, has anyone got a contact at Plymouth? Oh, yeah, it's not a bad example. Uh, Huddersfield. And they'll go, yeah, here's the, here's the first team manager's number. So now I've got the first team manager's name and number at Huddersfield, but I know he doesn't know me from a bar or so. So now it's like, okay, how do I make that? Now you just got to make that phone call and introduce yourself. And as soon as you say who you are, I'd say eight out of 10 are receptive. The other two go, oh, you're an agent. Yeah. But I don't say I'm an agent. Say, they corner you in that way. They're like, oh, another agent, about another player. Get like seven times a week kind of thing. Yeah. And the problem is you get in our industry, again, another thing I don't like, lads, is you'll get people phone up and say they represent a player when they don't. Which goes back to the uh, the guy at Sunderland that we were talking about, Josh. Mm. I would imagine that they had a fair few phone calls where people knew the right person, and then were purporting to act for him. Then you get in touch with the real agent and say, "Would your client be interested in going to Bordeaux? I can make that deal happen." And that's how that person then gets their palms greased because they've facilitated that. But, you know, the player and the agent were probably quite happy trotting along doing what they were doing. But people had their heads turned. Yeah. And that's the way of football, I imagine. Because I'm guessing even with agents as well that you've met and you've come across as well, some of them will be loyal to their players. But when you see the players kind of turn into, do they kind of turn to other agents? Do they have that time on their hands, footballers? To kind of look like, oh, I want to be represented by him or this guy's promised, promised me this much, that much kind of thing. Yeah. Does that happen? Yeah, that goes on more. More, I would say, at the top table. Okay. So, you know, you, you, so it's no, it's an open secret, as I like to call it. Pretty much anyone at Villa is under Stella. They yeah. pretty much have the Villa boys. Wolves are pretty much under Mendes. So it happens. Yeah. So if you're, a, let's say, not a Portuguese footballer, but you're a very good. English footballer, like let's say Conor Cody, I can't imagine at some stage over the next year or so, he's not going to have his head turned by having Mendes represent him. So yeah, of course it goes on. And again, it's a necessary evil. You, as long as you know that in the industry and you go into it with your eyes wide open and you've got your thick skin, you'll be okay. If you're going into it thinking it's as pure as white snow, you're going to be in for a very big disappointment yeah, that's just what I wanted to finish off with as well. Like the fact that 
with getting into the industry, was it one of those kind of hard situations that you had to kind of keep reminding yourself, oh yeah, I'm mentally and physically, re- not physically, but mentally and psychologically ready for this because I know it's going to be hard. I'm, I know I'm going to be the new guy on the block. And yeah. um, is that something that you kind of see with kind of new agents coming through and you're kind of there like, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen how it goes and people may yeah. come and ask you to help for like football transfers or with player information and stuff like that on on the social media groups and stuff. But is that something that's kind of, you kind of look back on now and think, you know what, I've done a pretty good job in terms of um, how I've managed myself and how I've managed my mental ability in becoming a football agent. Being honest, it's a bit probably groundbreaking. I struggle with it. I still struggle with it now. I, I, I find it hard. And it's not something that I'm not, not comfortable to talk about. It's just I don't talk about because you have to have this facade. Mm. But I came from such a, a regulated, licensed profession where solicitors that if I was representing you and you're an A-lister, not a footballer, but you are a celebrity, you wouldn't have Sal phoning up saying, I represent Hamza. Solicitors just don't, because the recourse of action and getting struck off and getting fined from the Law Society was so big hanging over you, it wasn't worth your job. Because you don't have that in the agency world. Everyone does it, and it's very cutthroat. So I mentally, I battle with it. And sometimes I have very good days, weeks, and others, I just think, is this for me? Am I cut out for it? But then I think, actually, I've made a promise to my players, um, and I grow a pair. But yeah, do I like it? No, and I, I disagree that it's something that naturally comes to you if you've got what I call a good moral compass. Because mm. morally, you, you you know all shenanigans go on, and I just think I don't want to be part of that. Like you said, if it's not for everyone, it's not for everyone. But what kind of tips would you give to kind of people who have had that bad impression of football agents? Would you kind of say that it's not for everyone, or is something that I could uh, something that you could learn by doing this, this, and this? What would you kind of say to uh, people kind of starting out in the industry? Stay true to yourself. Don't don't have your head turned. Every, I believe everyone from whatever age knows right from wrong. They know good, bad, and, they, and we know evil. You, you know if something is wrong. If it feels wrong, smells wrong, tastes wrong, guess what? It's wrong. Stay true to yourself. And if you don't know, and I didn't know, don't be afraid to ask, but ask someone that you actually think, I want to be like you. So if I was going to hit a wall or have an issue with would I naturally reach out to someone like Raiola? No, I wouldn't, because he, he's not the benchmark for me. Yeah. He's very good, but he, he wouldn't be my person. So for anyone new, I would say probably go into some sort of mentoring, apprenticeship or training, shadow someone, see what the day-to-day life is and think, oh, I could do that. Or, oh, no, that, that, that might not be for me. That doesn't mean you can't have a career in football, but you might not be the face of your agency. You might be something else behind it that is still as valuable. The other thing I would say is never stop learning. I always try and read, always read a book, always go onto websites or blogs and find out you know, the nuances of someone's contract. Uh, so as and when you're then in that position, if you've got quite a good brain, you think, oh yeah, that, I've, I've seen that before, I've heard that before because you're always learning on the job. This isn't something you go and do a two-year course, come out with a nice glossy certificate, because football's always changing. Footballers' contracts aren't really worth the paper they're written on. 
So it's it, totally different. Just to finish off, Marco, I just wanted to know, have you kind of dealt with kind of big football transfers currently at the moment with your kind of plays in like Cyprus and League One and League Two? Have you kind of had to deal with that personally? No. Yes, but I wouldn't say in the scheme of, of the football finances, they're big. They're, they're relative to the player. So it's going to be, so none of them were signing from Club A to Club B. They were already with Club A. So a lot of them were what I call renegotiations mm. of an existing contract. So the day will come soon, naturally, because it's going to happen organically, that one of my players that's got still a two-year contract to run at Club A is then wanted by Club B. Uh I've got that at the moment, but it's a National League North side, so that's obviously null and void. There's a uh, Vanarama main league that want him, and there's a League Two side that want him. So that's happening now. But the money, in comparison, it's, it's big to the player, don't get me wrong. Uh, and it's big to you know every man on the street, but it's not big in the football world. Mm. Uh, and that, that's interesting, because some clubs are very open. Uh, other clubs, you can just tell... They stand, They have a bit of paper and they show you one figure, but there's another figure on the other side. And you've got to somehow work out what that figure is. Whereas some players say, okay, yeah, we want your player. We're going to give him a two-year contract with a one-year rolling, which is effectively a three-year contract with that option. We're paying £2,000 a week and there'll be a £200 gold bonus uh, and we can give him some accommodation. And, you just, and I know going in what my player's expectation is. So he might already be on 1,200. He's now going up to 2,000. He's now got a better goal difference. Or he might already be on 1,700. And you're thinking, do you really want to move for 300 pounds? And then it goes back to my point. Now you've got to weigh up. Is it the right club with the right ethos, the right manager that's going to stay around? You imagine you were lured into signing for Sheffield United last year purely based on Chris Wilder. Yeah. And now Chris Wilder's gone. Now that player's thinking, mm. I signed and came because Sheffield United have been with Wilder five years. They've had promotions ninth in the in the Prem, and now he's gone. And that's when you'll start to see a merry-go-round because players actually do follow managers. But yes, yeah, to me, all of that's exciting, but I don't take it for granted. And I've grown to naturally like it. It's just my love of representing a footballer uh, for the right reasons is I think the reason why I get up as opposed to thinking right I've got I've got the next Ronaldo that's going to be my paycheck you do that I think you're doing it for the wrong reason yeah you're kind of kind of just filling the bank up in a way which which makes complete sense to some people but not everyone which I can yeah. imagine Salim have you got any questions for Marco before we wrap it up uh, I've got some but I think we'll probably need like a second episode I think um Oh, we definitely did part two with Marco during the summer or something like that. You have to meet the rest of the guys. They'll, they'll love you. Yeah. Trust me. Well, if we're going to do it in the summer, I'll come up. I'm going to do it in person. I'm desperate to meet people. Oh, oh, we're all at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't, had a, we haven't had a podcast with all six of us in the same place because like, we're all in different places in the country and it's ridiculous because of the lockdown two and lockdown three. So this is yeah. like Zoom has just been a lifesaver for us to stay in contact and be talking to one another. And that's something that I've loved personally just again we, we mentioned it on our podcast a lot communication is key and uh, one of our guys Vish says health is wealth and it's just little things like that that keep you going week to week and especially when you can only communicate via via phones or whatsapp calls and uh, zoom calls and stuff like that but yeah 
listen, if, if there's a part two coming, it's going to be coming and I'll let Salim lead the questions. I'm pretty sure we'll find some more coming forward. But thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Salim, thanks as always. Marco, thank you very much for your guest. If you have anything you want to tell our listeners or promote anything, by all means, this is your time. So go ahead. Uh, no, well, thank you for that opportunity. No, just, I suppose, go onto the website, um, which is www.thegameoftwohalves.com. We're on social media. I don't even know what my strap lines are on social media. That's how old I am. Uh, and, you know, if you like what you see and want to find out more and you're prepared to write off an hour to listen to me because I can talk, then, yeah. But find someone that's right for you. That's it, really. I don't right. do self-promotion. No, it's fine. We, we kind of do this for all of our guests, but we're like, if we'll, we'll, we've got you on social media and you've got us as well, so it's perfectly fine. Definitely. But it's all well and good. But no, everyone have a lovely week. Thank you very much for listening. Stay and well. Take care. Bye. Cheers, mate.